Welcome to JR Art Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance magazine. My name is Judy Herman, and I am honoured today to be with Rabbi Levi Sudak, and I'm at the headquarters of Lubavitch in Edgware. Welcome to Lubavitch of Edgware. This is a special building. It's a building which is the home for every single Jew, and all are welcome here. The people that come through the door are from the most learned to the most not yet learned. I love not yet learned. That's incredibly positive to start with, isn't it? And you've made me very welcome today. I've already got tea, and I, we've already talked about how... Now, say it again, was it your, your grandfather or your father who actually established the Lubavitch here, your father? In 1959, my parents were engaged to marry. My grandfather, my mother's father, was the Rebbe's personal, Lubavitcher Rebbe's personal representative here in Britain. He was operating a network of Chadorim, Hebrew classes. The time had come to establish a Lubavitch foundation here in Britain. And the Rebbe selected my parents, who at that time were just an engaged couple, that they should settle in Britain and they should establish Lubavitch Foundation in Britain. My mother arrived back in England earlier. My father arrived back in England about seven weeks before his wedding, before their wedding. And just prior to that, my grandfather, Rabbi Shemtov, had arranged, together with a number of his friends, to purchase the OSE building on Stamford Hill. The OSE building was a building bought by the community to assist refugees and poor people, and it, it had a soup kitchen. That soup kitchen then became the kitchen from which Jewish children that were studying in the Stamford Hill State Schools would come for lunch, and for a shilling and six, they would have a hot lunch at Lubavitch House or at the OSE building. So one of the conditions of the sale of the OSE building was that this lunch service continued on, and so it did. It's interesting because that almost takes us into the story that we're here to talk about, the story of how you were grounded in um, Gander in Newfoundland thanks to the 9-11, because actually food plays a part in it, welcome plays a part in it, um, sharing plays a part in it, and it's a beautiful, inc- inclusive story, which is told in the musical Come From Away. It's part of it. There have been a number of productions about Gander and at the time of 9-11, but I think this musical, Come From Away, has really absorbed the core of what was going on in that tiny corner of the world at a time when the rest of the world was in total chaos. Gander sits in the middle of a tiny island called Newfoundland. It's actually not so tiny. It's the same size as the lower half of England, from Manchester down to the Atlantic Ocean. Now, the population of Newfoundland, I don't think, reaches 70,000 people. The population of Britain is almost 70 million people. 
The wealth of Newfoundland is not much at all. It is what the natives or the residents of Newfoundland can make of its plants, its animals, etc. There aren't many minerals known to be mined in Newfoundland. Most of it is slate and shale. And fishing is a big industry mm. for Newfoundlanders. So you're diverted there. And I think you had to spend quite a bit of time first in the plane, but then they, they let you off the yeah. plane, didn't they? Yes. Mm. I was on my way to New York. It was a Tuesday morning. I'd taken the second British American Airlines flight out of London. And we were about two hours from New York, and suddenly I see on the screen in front of me that the plane has been diverted instead of going southwest the plane has been diverted to due north. About 10 minutes later, the pilot gets onto the tannoy and he says, US airspace has been shut down. We are being diverted. We are shortly going to land in Gander. When we landed, the pilot then told us there had been a terrorist attack on mainland USA and therefore US airspace is shut. We're going to have to be here until the authorities tell us what, what we can now do. Hours passed and there was no movement and night began to fall. About midnight, we noticed a school bus pulling up at one of the airplanes, by now there were 39 airplanes landed on the airfield of Gander. We noticed a school bus pulling up by one of the airplanes and steps had been wheeled to that plane and people were able to come off the plane. It was actually a Virgin Atlantic airplane which we later found out was full of school children. Oh, so that's why they took them first. That were going on a special trip. About four o'clock in the morning, we were deplaned, and our pilot told us, we're going to be here for a while. It's undetermined how long. So please take with you your hand luggage, your pillow and your blanket from your seat, because you are going to need it. We were deplaned, cleared customs and entry into Canada and then taken on a bus to a school called Lakewood, Lakewood Academy in a village called Glenwood, just outside Gander, on the other side of the Gander River. We were by then told that all the hotels and all the refuge places in the town of Gander had been filled to capacity. There were now 7,000 visitors that had descended upon this town whose population is only 9,000. And some people were being put up in schools, some people were being put up in Salvation Army chapters, um, etc. 
and our plane was being taken to Lakewood Academy. We arrived at Lakewood Academy, it was about quarter past five in the morning, and a cheery lady with a Canadian-Irish accent got onto the bus and welcomed us all to Lakewood Academy. Her name is Ethna Smith, E-I-T-H-N-E Smith. Her husband was Carl Smith. He was one of the colonels of the Royal Canadian, Canadian Mounted Police Force based at Gander Airport. Mm. Ethna was a history and music teacher and she taught French as well. But Ethna had taken on the responsibility of running the operation at the school, looking after the visitors. They called us visitors. Mm -hmm. And we were just over 500 visitors. In one in school? One school. One school. Mm. Mm. My particular place was, I was given the space at the chalkboard in the music room on the first floor. In my room, there were about 15 people mm. that were, their blankets were laid out on the floor with their pillow. And that was their little home. That's an extraordinary picture. So there you are, and presumably this particular room is met, I suppose. Yes. No, no, it's mixed. Mixed? Mixed. Gosh. And in one corner, the far corner opposite the door, there was a couple who were on our plane they were actually honeymooning. This was their honeymoon. They were an Asian couple. And they spent most of the time over there in that corner together. Full of fear, concern, not the rightest way to begin a honeymoon. After I put my things down in my, in my place, I went downstairs to see what was going on. I saw that they had taken one of the large classrooms and converted it into a kitchen. There must have been about 50 people in that room looking at the food that was put on for the visitors. I noticed two Jewish boys, Haredi boys, and I knew their family. These boys had been orphaned only in the past year. They lost their mother. All the time that I was on the plane, coming off the plane, etc., I was asking myself, why am I here? Why am I on this plane? What's the purpose of all of this? I had, after all, been traveling just for a single day trip to New York. My intention was to land at around 11 o'clock at JFK Airport, clear immigration and customs, and take a taxi to Queens, to the cemetery where the Lubavitcher Rebbe rests, to pray and to petition for myself, my family, my community, all those known to me, that they all be blessed 
with a good and sweet year. And then to take a flight back early in the evening and to land back at, in London at 6.30 the following morning. I've been diverted. There must be a reason for this. So all the time I was looking for my purpose. I did have with me my Machsa, my Rosh Hashanah prayer book, because I was using the flight time to prepare for the prayers because I lead the prayers here in Shul. I had with me a chauffeur. I had with me my talus and my tefillin and a few books of learning and not much else. Ethna soon gave us a classroom to make as a synagogue, but there were only nine Jewish observant men, and we weren't able to manage to get any of the Jewish passengers who were with us to come pray with us so that we should even be able to say one Kaddish or one Kadusha or one Baruch so you, you needed ten men to make a minion. Actually, just for those who who may be puzzling over this, a machzor is the book of service. A prayer, a whole Jewish New Year's Day prayer book. Shofar is a ram's horn, which we sound on Rosh Hashanah, and we also sound each day of the month preceding Rosh Hashanah, the month we call Elul. Tefillin are the black boxes that a Jewish male ties one of them to his arm and places one on his head. A talus is a prayer shawl in which a Jewish man wraps himself when he prays. And Jewish books of study. Obviously you would always travel with all of those and as you say, this time of the year you have your machsor with you as well. So we're going to find out, you obviously do find this purpose. A few times over. So I see these boys walking aimlessly through the corridors and then they go into the room where there is the food. And I see that they're looking to see if there's any kosher food. So I went to Ethna and I said to her, are you able please to call Gander Airport and see whether they have in their freezers any kosher meals? Short while later, she comes back to me and she says, yes, they have 17 kosher meals. But there were 12, including women, 12 observant people. The meals arrive, but they're not with the extra wrapping to put into a microwave oven. Mm. There was a microwave oven, so I showed all the people how you double wrap the meal, put it into a microwave oven, and then you can eat. Everyone enjoyed their meal. We now only had five meals left, and I now have to think about supper. Ethna says to me, what are you going to do about supper? I said to Ethna, if there's another kitchen here, I could make a kosher kitchen, and if somebody will drive me into Ganda, I will buy new pots and pans for the school. I will buy kosher food, whatever I find, and I will make food, at least mashed potatoes. Now, Jewish people, when they buy a utensil, a pot, a pan, a cup, a saucer, 
cutlery have to immerse those utensils that they have bought in a body of living water before they can use them. That body is called a mikvah. Yes, of course. Now, I wasn't expecting to find a mikvah in Lake in Glenwood, Newfoundland. So what is my way out? And the answer is that if a non-Jew owns the vessel, you may use it if it has not been used for non-kosher food. Bingo. Mm. I am going to buy the school new vessels, and these vessels we will borrow from the school mm. and use them for kosher food. So that's a win-win situation because then they've got them afterwards, haven't they? Nice yes. new vessels. Mm. So we went into, I think it was a Target. Is that a, a supermarket? Sup mm. uh, like a hardware mm. store mm. type of thing. And I bought lots of vessels, lots of kitchen equipment, and I bought pl disposable plates I also bought disposable containers. Then I went into the big supermarket and I bought lots of kosher fish. The fish still had its skin on, so you could tell it was either salmon or it was sole or whatever other fish we were buying. But potatoes, onions, oil. The oil had a seal, a kosher seal from Montreal, Kashras, that it was kosher. Lots and lots of things. I spent then about a hundred Canadian dollars on food and came back to to Glenwood and opened a kosher kitchen. So for supper, and I did have helpers make to help me make the food. For supper, everybody had what to eat. And were you used to rolling up your sleeves and cooking for lots of people? I have no problem with doing that. No, I'm, I'm very impressed. I mean, you're, you're obviously incredibly resourceful. And, and I just think it's incredible so far what you've done. But there's also quite a lot of reaching out to other people. I mean, Ethno is obviously an extraordinarily, again, resourceful and an open... Amazing lady. Mm. So now you're, you're able to eat, but you don't know how long this is going to go on, obviously. No one knows how long no. it's going to go on. And now it's Wednesday evening. Meanwhile... Before we got to Lakewood Academy, Bell Canada had put in a new four telephone lines, which was free to use, oh. that all the visitors could use for four minutes at a time to call anywhere in the world. You had to stand online. Hmm. That's, sorry, that's very Canadian. I found ca Canadians to be incredibly open and, and kind in and cheerful, but that is, again, so thoughtful, isn't it? Yes, and the science lab of the school had been converted to a, to a computer lounge with a bank of about 16 computers connected to the internet so that anyone who wanted to could write emails home, could receive emails into their account and read them, etc. Word got around that there was a Lubavitch rabbi in Lakewood Academy in Glenwood. 
and my wife here gets a phone call. This lady's husband is stranded in Gander and he doesn't have his tefillin. Can she get tefillin? My wife Fagi calls me. I get called to the office. And yes, I said, tell them to come over here. Tell them the name, the town, etc. And they can use the tefillin and they can have food as well. A total of 28 people ate from my kitchen Gosh. that we established out there in Newfoundland. And you got help with the cooking from other people Jewish who are not people all, all Jewish? Mm. Yes. Mm. Mm. And, and this is other people stranded and some local no people that were on yeah. my flight and yeah. others mm. that we met up um, we would meet for prayer mm. even though we were only seven or eight people at a time that we were praying and generally you need a quorum of ten mm. there were some other Jewish people but they didn't want to know however I noticed that when I sounded my chauffeur which it was the month of the before Rosh Hashanah, which each day we sound the shofar, I would be told that the Jewish people were listening in down the corridor to the sound of the shofar. I would imagine also that it must have been a, a, a wonderful sound to hear for everybody because it's a beautiful rousing sound and it's obviously, you know, a, a sound of hope for the future, isn't it? I can't tell you about the others, but I can tell you what was told to me. Mm. So now I knew that I had a purpose. Clearly, there's these two boys, there are these two boys, orphans, who are lost. They need kosher food. There are the other people, and they need to have a little bit of inspiration. Maybe that inspiration will help them in these quite long days, anxious days, especially as we were seeing on the televisions mm. repeatedly the film of the planes mm -hmm. flying into the Twin Towers. The fear that people had on their face as they watched this, especially people with family in New York mm -hmm. City. And I knew that there was yet more to come. 